Awesome. Good start. You guys can have a seat. Um, that, that song, um, it's a little bit like the book of Esther. I don't know if you know this, but the book of Esther is a, an extremely powerful book of the Bible, um, and yet the name of God never appears, right? And so that, that song, we, we start with that every once in a while. I know it doesn't feel like the most churchy song, and yet that's our prayer for you, right? We want God to ignite something in you, and maybe for some of you, reignite something in you um, from what he's done in the past. But uh, we just appreciate you guys joining us this morning. Service is flipped over a little bit today. Uh, it's kind of funny. We had a young guy, a good friend of ours, uh, walked in late to the first service because he wanted to skip the music this morning, and he walked in, and I was already preaching, and then he had to sit through the whole music. I was like, gotcha. Um, so... <laughs> Um, so we had a little fun with that, but there's a, there's a reason for it. Uh, we'll get to it at the end, but we're going to be doing uh, communion, celebrating the Lord's Supper together today. And so if you missed it on the way in, there's uh, a bread-juice combo thing on the high top table at the back. Feel free to grab that anytime. Um, so I'm going to get into it uh, early this morning. Uh, but first, if you're new with us, uh, we've got these connection cards at the info table in the lobby. We'd love for you to grab one and throw it in a black box. Uh, great chance for us to just get to know you. Uh, find out how we can best serve you and your family. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube or, or watching this back later, you can go to fieldstonechurch.org, scroll to the bottom of that page, and there's a digital version of this card available as well. Beyond that, we've got a thing called Fieldstone 101. Uh, we do that about once a month, takes about a half hour of your time, and just gives you the basics of our church. So if you're kind of checking things out, the next one's going to be Sunday, October 15. Um, like I said, we hit who are we, what, what do we believe, why do we do what we, we do, all that kind of stuff. And of course, if you have questions before the 15th, come grab us. We're always happy to answer any questions that you have. Um, specifically, one in particular we like to mention from time to time, we get questions about what's it look like to give at Fieldstone when it comes to tithing and things like that. Uh, a lot of it's digital, fieldstonechurch.org slash give. We also have the black boxes, one at the end, back of the room, one on the info table where uh, people take advantage of that. Uh, but we do that for a couple reasons. Number one, out of obedience, right? God says, I want you to give back to me out of what I've given to you. And so we do that as uh, obedient followers of him. The other side is worship. Uh, when we are generous, whether it's generous to a church or generous to a neighbor or generous uh, to some other nonprofit organization, it puts our heart in a different spot. We're saying, you know what? This isn't mine. God is number one. He is king. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be generous out of uh, his generosity to me. And so uh, it's a big deal. Um, uh, one other thing uh, before I get into our, our talk today, we've been doing a family info survey over the last few weeks. Uh, you can use that QR code if you want, or you can go to fieldstonechurch.org survey, and you can click a button there and get into it. Basically, kind of two sides of it. One is the administrative housekeeping side. We've got tons and tons of names and addresses and phone numbers in our system, and a lot of them don't apply to Fieldstone at this point. And so we just want to clean that up a little bit. The other side is um, we want to know, like, just like with the connection card, want to know how to serve you guys, right? Who's coming? Why did you come? Why did you stay? Uh, what's your family look like? What season of life are you in? Just kind of helps us as we do planning of events and our ministries and things like that. So um, kind of trying to hit the, hit the reset button a little bit when it comes to that stuff. Um, so uh, with all that said, uh, a little bit different today. I I'm going to be a little quicker Today, kind of a shorter message. If you don't know, we're in the midst of um, a four-week series just talking about our Fieldstone family values. So you can call them values, call them personality traits, call them DNA qualities about our church. And so not the most, like, I don't think anybody's walking out of here with goosebumps today because of anything I say. Um, really, it's just that kind of a series 
where um, it's important for us to know, like, who are we as a church? What, uh, we're a part of the global body of Christ, and yet we are a local expression of that. And every local church is unique. Every local church is different. And so the things that we're talking about are things where we would say, these are the four things beyond worship, beyond uh, uh, Family, uh, I'm going to list them all incorrectly. So let me, let me start over. Beyond the obvious church stuff, Bible stuff, worship stuff, uh, church governance, things like that, like this is the stuff we want to be known for, right? When you talk about Fieldstone, when you talk about what you love about Fieldstone, these are things where we, these are things that we've been in many ways over the last five, six years, and these are things that we want to be, that we want to be known for. We want to be known for being family focus. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We want to be known for the fact that our teaching is energetic and relevant, but that energy and relevance doesn't supersede the need to teach the truth and those essential truths of the gospel and of scripture, the things that we stand on. Next week, we're going to talk about another personality thing, but today um, gets into uh, an interesting tension because when it comes to churches, when it comes to businesses, when it comes to academic institutions, there's almost always some type of a mission statement almost always some type of a values statement for that organization. Now, this is their attempt, similar to ours, transforming family trees with the gospel, right? The attempt is to boil it down, what is it that we care most about? What are we here for? Now, some organizations, they, they get down to like one specific thing. They're going after this. The other stuff is fine. That's important. That's important. Value that. This is cool. But this is us, Chick-fil-A. What are they known for? Chicken, right? That's what they do. If Chick-fil-A started in the burger business, I would probably love their burgers. But Chick-fil-A said, we're doing chicken. This is what we're known for. Our menu's chicken. We're going to open a breakfast menu now. Guess what's on it? Chicken, right? That's Chick-fil-A. They are all about their chicken. Um, if you're, uh, we live up in Saline, and so we are uh, more aware of this. I'm sure it's kind of drifted down this way as well. But there's an organization out of Saline called Chad Tuff. Right? started by a family that lost their son to pediatric brain cancer. And so they started this organization. They're raising thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars every year for one specific purpose. Breast cancer, super important. Got to fight it. Prostate cancer, super important. Got to figure it out. All the other health issues, congestive heart failure, diabetes, all these other things that are affecting people's lives, they're affecting families. But Chad Tuff has said, you know what? We exist for one reason. We want to fight pediatric brain cancer. And God love them. They're getting after it, right? So those are organizations. Chicken, pediatric brain training, all these, we're after one specific thing. Now, some of them don't have the luxury of going after one specific thing, right? They have to live in this tension of, of a little bit of one, a little bit of the other. Some of you guys are in healthcare, right? Now, in the world of healthcare, you go in to see a doctor, maybe you're dealing with brain cancer or diabetes or a bad cough or COVID or whatever it is. You go in, you want somebody who knows what the heck they're talking about, Right? The best of the best, the smartest of the smart, the educated of the educated, the brilliant people in the world of brilliant people, the hospital system, the doctors, the nurses that are brilliant. God, like when you're hiring those people, when you're building that health system, you want the best of the best, the brilliant of the brilliant, the best technology, the best research, the best tools at your disposal. But if that's all you had, if that was that, if that was awesome, and that the doctor was a jerk all the time talk down to you, impatient, talking over your head, you'd have a problem. You might sacrifice a little bit of this for a little bit more of that, 
a little bit better bedside manner, a little bit more patience, a little bit more grace, a little bit more people skills. And so health systems can't just say, we're going after the best technology. They have to find a balance of caring for patients, caring for families, being good with people, and being brilliant. So they don't have the luxury of saying, we're all about chicken. We're all about pediatric brain cancer. They have to find a balance between multiple important things. Now, all the different types are fine. The focused ones, the balanced ones. It's all beneficial for the world. It's beneficial for society. But where does the church kind of fit in with that? Where does Fieldstone fit in with that? Does the church, does our church have the luxury of tunnel vision or do we have to balance things? I believe we do. And when we look at Jesus' ministry, when we look at his life, when we look at his teaching, um, and even the way we look at the way God interacts with people and tells us about himself in Scripture, I think we see a couple interesting qualities that have also become DNA traits of Fieldstone, things that we want to be known for when it comes to values. And this one today is simply this. It's simplicity and balance. We want to be known for simplicity and balance. Now, there's a lot that goes into that, and we're going to dive in and and kind of explain a little bit of that this morning. So let's talk about simplicity first. Um, Matthew 22, and there's a couple passages this morning. You're going to recognize them. We've preached on them before. We're going to preach on them again. They're just the kind of passages you got to come back to a bunch of different times throughout a year. But Matthew 22 Verse 35, Jesus is being questioned by the teachers of the law. They're trying to trap him with a tough question, as always. And it says, One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now keep in mind, they're asking him, what's the greatest out of 600 plus Old Testament laws that were given to the Israelite people? Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, all of those 600 plus things that the Israelites were given, all of it hangs on these two commandments. And so Jesus finds a way to take all of these commands, all of these laws, the entire Old Testament, and narrows it down to two simple commands. Love God, love people. That simplicity in the midst of potential complication. Another passage, Matthew 28, and you'll recognize this one as well. This is the mission of God's church. Whatever cute little mission statement we might have or any church might have, this is what it comes from. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So not only is he able to reduce the entire Old Testament down to a couple simple commands, now he's reducing the entire mission of his people, his church, the calling that we've been given as the body of Christ, he's reducing it down to one sentence. If we were to then go to Luke 17, we would see Jesus in various places, actually, in the Gospels, reducing his entire message down to the statement, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is at hand. That is the encapsulation of Jesus' entire message that he teaches over the course of those three years. And so it's Jesus basically saying, hey, if, if you miss the, anything, if, if you forget everything else, if you mess everything else up, don't forget this. Don't mess this up. Don't miss this particular aspect. And so Jesus' life, his ministry, his teaching, they were simple. 
with plenty of room to go deep for those that want it or need it. It's streamlined with plenty of room for uniqueness where that's needed. Now, if I'm you, I'm looking back at me with a couple questions. You're saying, okay, well, Justin, if, if Jesus keeps things simple, how come so many people couldn't understand what he was talking about? The Pharisees, so many people in the crowd who walked away going, I don't know what this guy's talking about, right? Even some of his own disciples going, can you explain that to us one more time? Like, seed and the sower, I get that, but everything after that I forgot, right? So, so there's plenty of people who didn't get what Jesus was talking about. If God likes it simple, how come he gave the Israelites over 600 laws to follow as part of their Old Testament laws? How come I got to watch 10 videos about the end times to even begin to understand what Revelation is talking about, right? So if God is simple, if Jesus likes simplicity, why is this happening? Now, certainly there are times when God gets detailed, when he gets complicated. You see it in the Old Testament laws. You see it in the way, in the instructions he gave uh, for the, the ark and for building the original temple. Uh, the, the prophecies that we see in Ezekiel and Daniel into Revelation, these are complicated things, but when we see that, it's usually... It's an opportunity for God to bring glory to himself through the intricacies and to show us just how incapable we are of living up to his greatness. Because then you can also see how God handles different situations. We see the Red Sea, right? How are we going to walk across this ocean? What? How about I just part it for you and you walk through? Okay. Jericho, how are we going to take this fortress of a city? Well, I'll just walk around it for seven days and then blast your trumpets and sing and the walls will fall down. All right. right? That's a pretty simple battle plan compared to a world of battle plans, right? Gideon. All right, Gideon, I'm going to send you into battle against 120,000 soldiers and you get to go with 300. That's kind of oversimplifying the situation, but I think that we see throughout Scripture that when God keeps it simple, nothing else and no one else can steal the credit for what it is that he did. When God keeps it simple, nothing can steal the credit. Simplicity can be a very powerful trait. Let's talk about balance. In John chapter 8, there's an interesting interaction, um, really one of the most important interactions that we see in Scripture. John 8, it's the, the Pharisees, again, trying to put him in a spot where they can trap him, and, and however he responds, however he answers, they think they can nail him to the wall. So here's how it goes John, down. John 8, 2. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of of adultery. Someday we're going to spend a Sunday on this passage because when I see that phrase, like, there's a lot going on here. If you're caught in the act, what exactly does this scene look like right now? In the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, nobody knows what he wrote. There's some good guesses. Anybody who claims to know, they're just guessing. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. 
And now Jesus says two things that are opposite of each other. He says, Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you. I'm not placing blame on you and judgment on you and consequences on you. Don't do it again. Stop. Two major statements, very much opposed, but what it is, it's an example of something that's lived out of what we see back at the beginning of John, over in John chapter 1. We see a characteristic of Jesus that's being lived out in that John chapter 8 story. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So Jesus is the Word. This is talking about Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. He came full of grace and truth. Full of grace and full of truth. That word full in the original language literally means full. Okay? Not super complicated. It means filled to the brim. And so what it's saying is that Jesus was filled to the brim with one thing. Now, if I had a pitcher up here and I filled it with water, I could not then also fill it to the brim with Kool-Aid. Great Kool-Aid, by the way. So good. Man, love Kool-Aid. I haven't had Kool-Aid in so long. Filled to the brim means filled to the brim. You cannot fill it again, but it's saying that Jesus was full to the brim of one thing and then full to the brim with another thing, full of grace and full of truth. Not a balancing act like the humans have to, right? We, we, we're trying to follow Jesus. All right, in this situation, in the, all right, I'm dealing with this person, I'm dealing with this family situation. How, do I more truth and, and back off on the grace a little bit? Or does this one require a little bit more grace and patience? And, and we'll, we'll get to the truth later. Like we, it's a balancing act for us, but Jesus was full of both. The source of all the truth we could possibly need and the source of all the grace that we could possibly need. And so out of that, Jesus taught and he ministered to those who were religious lifers. And he taught and he ministered to those who had no clue. He taught to those who needed to be encouraged and built up, and he taught to those who needed to be challenged and experience a priority shift. He taught with deeper theology. He did Old Testament references. He, he answered and gave interpretations of some really difficult stuff in their scriptures, and he brought some topical messages, talked in parables, used great illustrations from agriculture and commerce and, and uh, current events and things like that. He was loud and he was strong when it was needed. He was soft and he was gentle when it was needed. We can go back through all of Scripture and see God's character and what he asks of his people. He says, work hard and plan and be diligent. Be like the ant, right? Make sure things are taken care of and you're thinking about the future and doing things that you need to do and rest. Take a day and do nothing. In some cases, take a year and do nothing. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today is enough, right? Just, just worry about today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Make sure you're working hard, right? Take a break. Relax. God says stuff like, everyone should earn their keep and leave some grain behind for the poor, for the beggars. He says, you are my chosen people. And talking to Israel, right? you, I have chosen you. I, I went all the way back to Father Abraham. He, you are my chosen people to take my name to the nations. In the midst of that, you've got to protect yourselves, right? Don't marry out. Don't send your daughters over to them. Don't let their idols mix in with what you protect the insiders of the people of God, and be a light 
for the outsider. Be a place of rest and refuge for the outsider. I think we see throughout Scripture that that God's approach to people shows the full measure of his truth, his standard, his holiness, and at the same time shows the full measure of his grace and his mercy and his patience for people like us. We see Jesus living this balance. In Mark 6, um, he has shown, he's done miracles, he's done teaching, he's been doing ministry, interacting with people, and then he sends his disciples out two by two to different towns and regions to try and do what he's been doing. It's time to practice, right? And they all come back, they all got their stories. Uh, In Mark chapter 6, verse 30, it says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Now, we don't know if they were gone for days or for weeks, maybe even a couple months, but they're coming back, and I can picture it, right? You come back together, like, you guys were in, in Capernaum. Tell me about what happened. Oh, man, we interacted with this one guy. Oh, man, this family welcomed us into their home. It was such a blessing. It was a miracle. Somehow God provided, right? It's it amazing. We were able to preach the gospel. We healed a guy. It was crazy, like all this stuff. You, oh, you guys were right on the edge of Samaria. What was that like? Oh, so hard, right? It was scary. All, all these different stories come in. They're sharing what they've been. And here's what Jesus says. He says that because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. He said to them, you know what? Come with me by yourselves. Come to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves into a boat to a solitary place. There were still crowds everywhere. Still work to be done. Still needs that had to be met. Still miracles to do. But Jesus says, you know what? We'll get to that. Let's chill for a second. Let's rest. Let's share some stories. Let's just be alone. At the end of John's Gospel, we see it says that Jesus did so many things that maybe even all the books in the world couldn't contain the stories of what he accomplished. But he also rested. And he got time alone. He spent time quiet. He found balance simplicity and balance. So then what does it look like for a church to have simplicity and balance? Well, we want to have simplicity and balance in our teaching. And so we attempt to challenge or at least provide resources for those who need a bigger push, but also boil it down to the simple truths for those who are just starting out. In our teaching, we want to push mature Christians to rethink some things and process things from a different angle and and become self-feeders and to get away with Jesus on a daily basis and to dig deeper, not always digging deeper in content, but digging deeper in the application of that content. At the same time, we want to make sure that everyone understands that in the end, in the midst of all the deep stuff, it's all about Jesus. The Bible is a deep, deep well, but the gospel is simple. We want to make sure that we're showing charity in the non-essential aspects of Scripture, the things where there's some room for healthy debate, but at the same time, when it comes to the non-negotiable truths, they're being communicated and we're holding strong to them, all the while making sure that we're having open hands to those who struggle to live out those truths, which, by the way, is all of us. Simplicity and balance in our teaching. It means being simple and balanced in our services. We want to be ready to care for you and your family, but then we want to ask you to turn around and help us do the same for others. We want to create worship experiences that have the potential to inspire and encourage a lifelong believer. We've got people in this church that have been following Jesus for 70 plus years. We want to make sure that our services offer them something, but at the same time, we want our services to have the chance to move a first-time churchgoer 
closer and closer to responding to Jesus and understanding the gospel. In our services, we try to rely on God in the planning, ask him, hey, what songs, what, what topics, what, what extra special things, but then defer to his will in the moment if he decides to show up and change things for us. Right. We want to respect people's desire to check things out at their own pace, right? You, you checking out a new church, you're coming in for the first time. It can be a little scary, right? You don't know anybody. Maybe you got burned out at a, at a previous church. Maybe you got burned in general at a previous church, and you just need some time. So we want to give you the space to do that, but at the same time, when it's time to take a next step, we want to make sure that's easy and obvious. What do I do next? How do I get plugged in? No confusion. We want to provide a safe and relevant space for our kids, a place for them to learn and grow together and connect with great adult volunteers. That's good for them, and it's great for that tired-out mama who just needs an hour, right? At the same time, we want to include them in our worship. And when they're making too much noise, we're going to celebrate it because it represents the life-giving presence of young children and infants. Simple and balanced in our services. We want to be simple and balanced in our ministries and in our organizational practices. We want to be wise with our money, wise with our resources, protect our stuff. We're going to save for emergencies, right? Good stewardship, not overextending ourselves. And at the same time, we want to be ready to be ridiculously generous and step out in faith when the opportunity arises. We want to make sure our building is a good tool to make, to, that helps with the mission, right? The layout makes sense. The building makes sense. It's not dripping all over people while we're trying to, to sing. It's a bigger challenge than you might think. But we want to make sure that our building is, is helping uh, advance the mission, but at the same time, we don't want to do stuff that's going to overextend our budget while we're chasing wants instead of needs. Simple and balanced in our ministries and organizational practices. It means for us being fully invested in a few things, in a few events, in a few options, instead of saying yes to everything and only being able to throw pennies at everything. It's making sure that there's accountability and protections in place, but that good leaders and good ideas aren't bogged down by red tape. It means pursuing that balance of truth and grace that Jesus modeled for us. It means planning ahead, but also having freedom in the moment. It means being careful about adding things to the calendar, right? We want to be simple and balanced in our schedule and with our time. We want to live free and light as a church and model that for the families of this church. We want to make sure that every event, every new project is intentional and has a purpose and is necessary for where God is taking us. It means that when we, when we come up with our schedules and we're putting our Dream Team volunteers in place, that there's room to serve without fear of burnout and without fear of us getting angry if they got to take a break and rest for a little bit. Simple and balanced. This is a big deal for us. And some of you guys have seen this, some of you guys have lived this and experienced this because sometimes people and families and churches, they add so much and they do so much and they incorporate so much and they plan so much and they ask so much and they fill so much time and they spend so much money and they build and create so much, they emphasize certain beliefs and traditions and people too much. And in the end, all of that stuff, all of it really good stuff, steals the credit for what God actually did. I've heard people say, I've said, you've said, well, if we had that building, of course, of course things are going well. If we had that building, things would be great. If we had that kind of money to invest in that many ministries, of course 
things would be different. Well, it's built on the charisma of that one preacher. It's all about their personality. And they got the lights, they got the smoke, they got the LED screen. Now, I'm not saying any of those things are bad. Lots of options is not bad. Lights are not bad. We got lights. Personality is not a bad thing. Remember, we want our, our teaching to be energetic and relevant. Now, smoke's a little weird. Okay, I'll, I'll give you smoke's a little weird. We, we, we haven't done the smoke thing yet, Brian, uh, but uh, it, it is what it is, right? What, here, what I'm saying is that when you venture too far away from simplicity, right. when you venture too far away from balance, it's easy for the extra stuff to distract us or to steal God's credit or to simply send us all home frustrated and burned out in Jesus' name. Simple is actually hard. Being balanced is actually hard. Clarity is hard. But that's why it's such an important thing for our church, and we want to see you and your family experience simplicity and balance in your lives as well. And we believe that the pursuit of those things is a quality that Fieldstone should be known for. It's something that'll help us value people. It's something that'll help us reflect the character of God as we've seen him live that out over the course of Scripture and ultimately to make sure that he alone gets the credit for anything that happens here. That was one of our dreams from day one, right? We want things to happen here where you go, that wasn't because of Justin. He's definitely not good enough to make that happen, right? It wasn't because of the music. God bless Brian and Miriam. Music wasn't good enough to change a life, right? The building wasn't good enough to do what it is. We want to make sure that whatever happens, God gets the credit because he's the only one that could have pulled it off. It's not the only way to do church, but it's part of who we've been and it's part of who we want to be going forward. Now, we're going to transition into a time of communion. And just, I got to throw this in there. I know uh, this particular series doesn't lend itself for like an altar call. Um, We're not doing an altar call right now. Somebody just jumped up. It's like, oh. I'm ready. Um, but we, we never like to go too long without letting you know exactly what it is that we're here for um, and what it is that we believe you're here for. Um, as we get into this time of communion, it's a chance to remember what it is that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. He said, remember me. Remember what I've done. Remember what it means for you and in your life. And what he's done is he was God who became a man. He entered his own creation because we had gotten so far from who he is and what he's called us to be. We are in a broken relationship with him. And he said, you know what? It's time to go down, number one, to show them exactly what it looks like to live the way I would live on the planet. But number two, he came to fix us, fix what we had broken. And so he lived a perfect, sinless life, this man Jesus, and then willingly sacrificed that life on the cross allowed his body to be broken, allowed his blood to be spilled so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could experience a relationship with him again, so he could begin to heal us from the inside out. And then he rose from the grave and defeated the undefeated force in the universe of death and said, you can live forever with me. You just have to believe in me. Believe in what I've done and put your trust in me. And he changes us on the inside and then spends the rest of our days changing us from the outside, from the inside out. Glory to glory, grace to grace, one step at a time. I pray that you believe that this morning. If you're unsure about what that means, come find me after the service. I'll stop whatever conversation I'm having to have that conversation. It begins and ends with that relationship with Jesus.
And then communion is an opportunity for us to simply reflect on that, right? What, what has he accomplished for me? What has he called me to? It's a chance to kind of reflect on our lives. Like, am I following in the footsteps of Jesus? Am I living the life that he's called me to live? Or have I wandered? Have I put other things on the throne? Have I put other priorities in place? This isn't about making Jesus the number one priority. Jesus is the one that all of our other priorities get arranged around. And so maybe in the few moments this morning, this is an opportunity for you to think about, okay, where am I at, right? And Paul even encourages us. We're going to read the passage where he talks about what communion looks like. In the midst of that passage, he says, if you're not right with Jesus, if you've got an issue with someone, you need to go take care of that and then come back to me. All right, this is a chance for us to think through some of those things, a chance to slow it down just a little bit, turn the attention to him and what he's done for us and what he's calling us to. So we're going to watch a quick video that will help us just transition a little bit, get our hearts and minds moving in that direction, and then the team's going to lead us through another segment of worship, and I'll be up here in a few minutes to lead us through the elements. But I just want to encourage you, make, make this moment whatever God wants it to be for you in these next few minutes, and we'll be back up.